I'm Olga Stella, the Executive Director of Design Corps Detroit and the Vice President for Strategy and Communications at the College for Creative Studies. Thank you for joining us for Season 3 of the Detroit City of Design podcast. As stewards of Detroit's UNESCO City of Design designation, we aim to raise your awareness of how design can create conditions for better quality of life and economic opportunity for all. In Season 3, we will hear from thought leaders who view our world through a lens of empathy, and apply design thinking to address some of our world's most pressing issues. This episode has been made possible by the generous support from Foot Locker Detroit. Foot Locker is committed to their purpose to inspire and empower youth culture, not just through sneakers, but also music, arts, sports, and fashion. Visit footlocker.com to learn more. I'm excited to be here today with Dr. Dwayne Edwards, design educator and founder of Pencil Footwear Design Academy based in Portland, Oregon. Pencil was founded in 2010 to provide its students the opportunity and knowledge required to become professional footwear designers through a rigorous learn-by-doing curriculum in partnership with the industry's top brands and retailers. Over the course of his 31-year career, Dr. Edwards has received numerous design awards from Red Dot to Mercedes-Benz. He was named one of Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People in Business, has accumulated more than 40 patents, and designed more than 500 styles for premier athletes like Michael Jordan. In 2019, Dr. Edwards received an honorary doctorate from Art Center College of Design based on his career achievements. Well, I am so happy to be talking to you today, Dwayne. I've just enjoyed getting to know you over the last couple of weeks and learning more about Pencil. And we're just happy to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for inviting me on. I've heard a lot of great things about you and the podcast, so I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Well, I know one of the things I think would be helpful as we get started is for our audience to know a little bit more about your journey into footwear design and you know how you became a footwear designer. Whoa. So I'll try to spare you the, the long version. So the short version When I was uh, 12, that was when I drew my first shoe because I used to love to draw football players on baseball cards. And I saw a shoe for the first time and I fell in love with just the odd shape um, and the idea of degree of difficulty it was to draw them. And then that just led to all through middle school, all through high school. I was I was kind of known as the shoe guy because I would always come to school with custom painted sneakers that I would custom customize myself. Now, this was in the the mid-80s, so customization wasn't even a thing. The idea of a sneakerhead wasn't even a term, but it was just something I always wanted to do because that was my my mode of transportation because I didn't have a car. So you, you always had to make sure your feet were, were right. And and that that is what I thought that I would want to do for the rest of my career, or sorry, rest of my life. And uh, I remember going to my guidance counselor in high school and saying, hey, I finally figured out what I want to do, you know, once I graduate is, is to become a, a sneaker designer. And she was like, you know, why, why would you want to do something like that? You know, no, no black kid from Inglewood High School would ever become a footwear designer. And so that that devastated me as, as a kid. But I, I understood what she was trying to tell me. But at the same time, I, I used that as kind of motivation uh, to prove her wrong and graduated from high school youngest of six kids raised by a single parent, unable to afford to go to college. 
and ended up getting a temporary job at a footwear company filing papers shortly after graduating from high school. And uh, they had these wooden suggestion boxes in every department. And the company was looking for ways the employees would give them ideas to make the company better. And since I knew I was only there for a short period of time, I would put sketches in the suggestion box on these little three by five index cards with the idea of hiring me as a, as a designer because I could make better product. Did that for six months straight and the owner called me into his office and offered me a job right after I turned 19 years old. That's, that's an awesome story. And it just it proves, you know, it just demonstrates so much this idea that, you know, talent is distributed evenly, but opportunity is not. And you went and you seized your opportunity. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so as, as you developed, I mean, as I know, and at one point in your career in the, in the early part, I, I think you've, you've said there were only three African-American footwear designers, you know, in the industry. How, how did your creative process evolve, you know, and, and just and maybe just, uh, you know, how it evolved in, in your career leading up to founding Pencil? So when, when I started in 89, I was the second designer that that I was aware of. Um, again, this was post Google, right? So we we didn't I couldn't just look people up. Right. And, uh, <laughs> it's all networking. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't do that. But I end up heard I've, I've heard of a guy named Wilson Smith who was up up at Nike and he he started in 86. And and so we knew of each other through other people. And I think my my advantage was I was I was young. I was 19 and and so I was really the target consumer. And so a lot of times, you know, my first 5 years in the industry, I was really designing for myself because I was the target consumer for for the brands that I was working with. And and that really stuck with me because it it made me understand as a as a designer you have to become the person you're designing for. And and I treat it much like the way an actor or an actress, you know, plays a certain role, I think designers also play, have to play that same kind of, that same kind of role whenever designing for something or someone specific. So I was always able to morph in whoever I was designing the product for. And and that really became for me kind of my, what I would call one of my superpowers of of being able to lock in uh, no matter, you know, what the subject was if it was a basketball shoe, if it was just an outdoor boot, if it was a casual sneaker, if it was a riding boot for for equestrian, like I was able to lock in and really understand what that person needed by becoming that person. And so that really became what, what I feel one of my competitive advantages is that I really studied who I was designing for and really took it to heart. And so as your career progressed and, you know, I, I, I know, you know, design, we've, you know, one of the things that at Design Core we've really focused on is, you know, the how to create a more diverse pipeline of talent so that designers are designing products and experiences and systems that benefit everyone, that everyone can participate in. You need that diversity of perspective and experience, you know, to do that and, and the design fields are notoriously not diverse, <laughs> right. <laughs> right? And some of that, like in architecture, is, is more is better documented than than maybe in other fields like product design. But as you as you got to a certain point in your career, and you and you th- decided to to found pencil, maybe if you could tell our audience a little bit about 
you know, just what were the key elements as you were thinking about what pencil needed to be and how you hoped it would change it, change the, the, the talent composition in the, in footwear design, but I think in, in design in general. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I know, I recognize early on that, that brands, they, they knew everything about their target consumer, especially the, the ones that I worked for. And, and a lot of times they were young black kids and, but yet there weren't young black kids working in the offices, but they were the target, you know, from, from all the marketing campaigns and consumer focuses. And as, as I went on to, to Nike and to Jordan, it, it got a lot, it got a lot bigger, right? Where the marketing budgets got bigger and the, the endorsements started to kick in. And I just noticed how the, the brands only saw us as one way. They only saw they only saw diversity through the lens of, of making money, not contributing to a company and contributing to the organization. And I started to understand, like, well, you know, what, what's the what's the point of me doing this job? Because I feel like I'm not doing anything to advance the idea of getting more people in the industry who looks like me. And, and I challenged the company I was working with is to treat us the same way you would treat trying to find an next great athlete you know, why don't you invest into these kids when they're in high school and show them what opportunity looks like beyond just buying something or telling them that they could become a basketball player, football player, or a musician, because that was the only reference that these kids saw from these brands. And and once challenging them to let them know that these kids have more value to them beyond buying product then that started to change the perception of what was possible, at least for more diversity within our industry. But it was it was really it just needed someone to focus in on it. It, it was it was something that the industry lacked. The industry didn't know how to do, quote unquote, say they didn't know how to do. And they still say they don't know how to do it to this day. But it really just means you just someone need to focus in on it. And pencil to me was it, it is really the, the school I wish I was able to attend as a high school kid and the school that I would hire from as a, as a working professional. And we, we meet kids where they are, you know, uh, for, for us is, is not about if you have a college degree, it's about if you have talent and, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a college degree, but I had the talent to get into the industry. And you fast forward many years later, there's so many kids out there that are talented, but they don't have a voice. They don't have an outlet. And, and we try to become that outlet to increase the diversity in, in our industry, at least just to show the industry what it should look like, what it could look like, and the implications of what, what would happen if you actually did focus in on it. For uh, students who might be interested in going to pencil or participating in a pencil program, what can they expect? What is the approach like, the learning approach? We fundamentally, I, I want two emotions when you're finished. Either you're gonna never want to do this job, or you're gonna fall in love with it. And and what I mean by that is we we work you the way you would work at a real organization. And so our programs are intensive. And so we we do four weeks, but it's twelve to fourteen hours every day straight. So that's that's equivalent to a sixteen week semester at a traditional college. We do it all in four weeks, and we we structure it that way because when you work professionally, at least in the footwear industry. There are times where you pull all-nighters. There are times when you do have to work those long hours. And, and we want to condition you just like an athlete trains and prepares for that moment. 
we look at Pencil the same way. We, we want to condition you and prepare you for that moment when you do have to rise and, and deliver. And, and so it's it's intensive. Like I said, it's the it, we show you exactly the way you will work. We give you real projects. The brands, you know, pay for the students to attend. So it's free. And at the end, a few things happen. You can either turn that into an internship. You can turn that into a product that goes to retail. In some cases, students get paid by the brand for the work that they've created. We, we want to change kind of the, the way that the perception of what education looks like, especially when it comes to design and product companies, where we, we want to flip it around a bit to, to really showcase the talent that is out there so the brands can understand there's an out, there's a new outlet for getting the same results. And, and these results are based on exactly the way they work. So all of our kids have uh, less break-in time when it's time for them to be employed. Yeah, I know in some of your prior talks, you've talked a little bit about just the importance of you know global perspectives within the school and competition-based learning and you know, how do these, how, how do you weave some of these things in, you know, when you think about when you've, as you've developed and evolved the pencil model? Honestly, really organically, you know, just like when you work at a company, you don't, you don't always work with people you grew up with or from the same state or, you know, from the same city or from the same country. So all of, as you mentioned, all of our programs, you have to compete to get in because there's no fee. We don't, we don't show any favoritism where everyone submits a concept to, to be your barrier of entry. And we make the selection globally where we, we try to align our programs that consist of anywhere from 18 to 35 kids at one time, where we try to make sure that diversity is not just in race, but sex and geography. Where if it's, if it's US-based, we make sure people are all from different states. If it's global, we try to spread it, spread it around as well, because what we found is that is the makeup of a large global company. It's going to have that diversity within that mix. And we want kids to see what that diversity looks like so they can understand how they can learn from some kid. That's if a kid's from L.A. versus a kid from New York or a kid from Detroit or a kid from from Amsterdam or Holland. I mean, not Holland, uh, Denmark. You can see that diversity in the way that they think. You can see that diversity in the way that they live. And the idea is to create this fellowship of, of energy that exists in the room where that's really for, for us is really what diversity is about. So diversity of not only just sex, but I mean, race, it's also diversity of thought and, and experiences. And when you put that together in the same room, then you're going to get out a different, different end result versus it being all the same. That's right. And it seems like the, the your industry partners really respond to that. You know, you've, um, you just go on the pencil website and you see the myriad of brands that you've worked with. Um, you know, what, what do the industry partners say and what, um, you know, why is that partnership Im- important to you? You know, and I guess what, are, why is pencils partnership important to them? So for 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 us, the, our partnerships with our brands is proof that we're doing the right thing and we're doing it the right way. Where to this is our 11th year and we've never asked a brand to work with us. Every single brand that is posted on that site, they came to us and it was based on the results that we that we uh, that we received from from all of our programs. And that to me was super critical because I wanted to always provide the brands a a return on investment. 
because the, the, the education is free for the students, that means the brands have to pay for the student to be there. And I've always, being in the corporate side, understood the idea of what ROI means, especially when it comes to employees. And I wanted to bring that to the education side because I know that's how the brands think. The brands think in that, in that ROI mindset. So the way we teach, because it's the way that they will work, the brands see the value of it immediately. And then once the, once the programs are over, as I mentioned, the, the brand nine times out of 10, they will hire someone, whether it's full-time or part-time or, uh, sorry, it's contract or even internship. So they're getting that ROI by working with us because we're producing the results that they actually desire. For, for us, that's our accreditation, where mm-hmm. our accreditation is the brand validation. The brands are validating that we're doing it the right way according to what their standards are and what they would hope to hire from. And, and for us, that is our goal is to make sure that we are the voice of the, the industry and that our industry sees us as a relevant education resource. Well, and, and the design industry is still a pretty heavily credentialed industry. You know, you yeah. m- most of the positions, you know, at least on paper require for your degree and, and pencils really breaking the model of that. So, so when you think, um, as, as you, as you work with, you know, institutions of higher education, and as I'm sure we'll have educators and students, you know, listening to the podcast, what, why can higher education take away from the pencil model? Well, you know, and, and how can, you know, I, Design core is part of, of a college, the College of Creative Studies. What can we start to learn from the pencil model, you know, to help to help make higher education more accessible and 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 to increase the ROI to students? Yeah, well, you, you hit it right on the head. The, the first part is it being more accessible. You know, often you know I talk to 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 deans, letting them know they don't they don't necessarily have the best talent. They just have the talent that can afford to attend their college. Or, or university. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I said, you have to figure out that you got to, you have to get talent in here, uh, whether they're scholarship end or they can, they can afford to pay it because that is why the brand will continue to support your college is if you're producing the talent that they would like to hire from. And if you're not doing that, or if you see those those industry partners start to dry up, then you have to change your, your process and you have to change your approach. Now, education doesn't always do that. <laughs> it's it's kind of a it's kind of a, a stuck model in some ways because it's 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 about tuition, uh, which I completely understand. But in order to get the corporation support or additional support, they do have to change the curriculum around, and they do have to have these smaller, more intensive sessions because a the students want it. The students don't want to be there for all those four years where they want it quicker, they want it faster, they want it very specific to what they want to get into. Now, part of that is their attention span of, of how, we, how they're living today, but it's also the brand's attention span too, because the brands are about results quarterly. And if the brands are measured quarterly, then sometimes it's difficult for them to wait three, four, five years for a talent to be available for them to participate in their quarterly earnings. And so because the corporations are working off of a shorter scale, the schools will need to start operating off of a shorter scale because the brands need that talent in order to actually produce the results that they've been asked to produce based on, you know, honestly, the stock market. And and so for, for, for us, we're modeled based off of a corporation. 
and and I approached creating pencil through that lens of if a corporation created a school, what would it look like? And it would look like the way that we do it, which is shorter, more intensive, and directly connected to the job that they're they're looking to apply for. And b- beyond the the accessibility of higher education, the tuition barriers, what you know, you've you've talked a little bit about the lack of of awareness of careers in design in you know in more diverse populations in African American communities and you know in in other communities where design is just typically not been represented and you know how how do you talk to parents how do you talk to students to help them understand what the opportunities are in the design profession you know it's it you did hit on it it's it's actually having that conversation with the parent somehow reaching them to let them know that design doesn't equal broke, where if, if, you, if you have a parent that is not aware of the differences between art and design, they'll just chalk everything up to art. And, and in some cases, art still equals broke because it's a different process than, than design, where I think the first stage of it is just under, helping them understand the differences between the two and then the opportunities on the design side that are different than on the art side, where the companies also have a, a huge obligation as well, where the companies need to also explain to the, the parent and the kid that these are all the jobs that are available within design because the companies don't share that information. They don't share mm-hmm. it in that simple, the simple breakdown as if you were to go to a career fair or a job fair. I've been to several of them at, at churches and in black communities, and I've never saw my job up there. Right. And, and, and that was is heartbreaking because I know I know the kid is not genuine. They're, they're more genuinely interested in the topic of, of sneakers or fashion or design, but they really don't know what it is. They, they have an idea, but they really don't know. And, and so I think what what schools could do better is if the brands don't share it, then the schools should share it. The schools should create their own job boards and breaking down the careers and how those careers align with the majors that they actually offer, where then you can see more of a clear path. Right now, I don't think you can go to a school's website and see a list of the careers and then see the majors that are directly aligned to those careers and then the companies that specifically hire for those jobs. If that doesn't exist right now, then how do you, you're expecting the parent and the kid to connect all those dots they're not going to do that. That's right. No, that's right. And I and I and as you you've worked with so many students over the years, I know just the the efforts that pencils had in diversifying. You know, went from three to almost two hundred. You know, footwear designers of color, right? And because um, in large part due to pencils' efforts, what are those those jobs? Where where are the point the opportunities within the brands the designers are bringing value and really creating? careers for themselves? You know, it's, it's really in the natural daily things that they do. And, and so what I mean by that, from a sneaker point of view, a kid who can see a product and say it would look better if it had this color, or it would look better if it had this, this material on it, or it would look better if these lines did this or did that, or it looked better if, if it performed this way. Those are all jobs. Those are all jobs. And, and kids do that now. They do it virtually online before when I was when I was younger, you would do it at the sneaker store. But they they do they basically make the assessment of what could be better, not knowing that 
color design is a real job. Not knowing that someone who picks colors for the shoes is a high paying job or someone who selects the materials for it is a is a high paying job. Someone who decides what type of product to create, that is also a job where the kid sees it and does it naturally. And you have to you have to feed it to them in that easy, digestible way. They experience the product. Once you show them like, hey, you know what, like you can do geometry using sneakers. Come on, everybody's going to be better at geometry if you show them how to do it through sneakers. Or if if you show them how steam and STEM are connected to sneakers, there, there's going to be much more of an interest from those kids to actually look into those subjects if they know that there's this object that they have in their closet and on their feet that they can learn from. That's way easier to, to get a kid to pay attention and stay focused versus the older traditional ways and methods that high schools do and then also colleges do as well. It's really showing it through the lens of how they look at it. So putting the, the talent that you say you want, putting that really at the center of, of you know, how you describe what it means to be a designer and, and what these opportunities look like. Yeah. It's, it, they, they just need to know they can be something other than picking up a ball or picking up a mic. Right. Yeah. Or, or a hammer or, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. I think we, we set l- low expectations for kids just, and, and, and don't see, you know, don't, don't see all the, the natural creativity, the natural problem solving that kids, especially kids who are coming from challenged backgrounds, you know, every single day they're, they're trying to figure out, you know, how they're going to get to school, how they're going to, you know, do, do different things in their life. And, and there's an ingenuity and a resourcefulness there that I think any, any business would want. Oh yeah, absolutely. At the same time, they, they had the companies. And, and the kids have to understand too is, you know, for for me when I was when I was coming up, I was I lived in Inglewood, California, but I worked in Marina Del Rey, California, which is technically only about twenty minutes away, but it's like night and day. Mm-hmm. So I'm living in two different worlds daily. Daily, I'm living in two different worlds, and that's hard. It's taxing yeah. because you live in one world that you, when you go back home, you can't really share what that world is like because no one can understand it and relate to it. And then the world at, and, and on the corporate side, you can't share where you come from and, and the daily struggles that way because no one there understands it either. So what ends up happening is the kid usually gets pulled back into the other one that's more comfortable for them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's usually the pull that happens is that's the one that you're most comfortable with that be that's the one that really pulls you back in unless you really have the mindset to you want a different life and you want to do something different and you want to be uncomfortable most people don't have that that level of discipline to to say you know i i love this world and i love my friends and and my relatives but i need this over here in order for me to do do better and quite honestly your friends and and relatives they should push you out because they want you to do better. But a lot of times those kids don't have those, that, that encouragement. And so they just fall back into the same traps. Well, I I think you've just kind of proven the statement of culture beats strategy, right? Or culture eats strategy, right? Every day. And, and, you know, it's hard to, you can have all these strategies around 
recruiting diverse talent pipelines, but if there isn't a culture that then supports diversity of perspective, diversity of background, you know, you're not, those, those strategies aren't going to work. Nope. Not at all. Yeah. You know, I've just loved learning more about you, Dwayne, and and your just your career and and your own journey in design. And I, one of the things that we think a lot about, I and mean, definitely don't have the answers towards. I'd love to get your thoughts about Detroit itself. Is you know important African American city in the United States, and with one of the biggest ones. <laughs> yeah, well, and and just historically, historically we have made our mark, and a lot of what is special about Detroit is is due to African-American culture and and leadership here in our city. And to someone who's been deeply involved in industry, like where the money's at, you know, what your thoughts are about how do more people get to have a piece of that and start to build not just career, but actually start to build some wealth, right, out of the design industry? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it is education. Um, it's, you know, we, you know, black people are one of the largest consumer groups on the planet and we don't always know the whole story or the rest of the story, meaning we still have that consumer mindset where we don't know the rest of the story of where that, where that product came from, you know, who financed it, how did that work? Like all of those things are still hidden uh, even though if you dig, you can find it, but it's still hidden. And I think not only just Detroit, but all inner cities need to need to do a better job of of, of revealing the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. But specifically, D- Detroit, it, again, it goes back to living in those two different worlds, right? Where if a kid is in, in, in a deep, deep in the inner city of Detroit, they may not go past two or three miles from where they grew up at. And so you have to lure them out of that place so they can see the rest of the story. And if they're able to see the rest of the story consistently, then then that habit of the lack of awareness will start to change. Where, as you pointed out, I mean, Detroit has a deep history. It, it has an amazing, you know, kind of design community. It's just, it's hidden in plain sight. And yeah. I don't think enough is being done to pull those kids out of their environment so they can see the other, the rest of the story, where I think that's really one of the bigger unlocks and, and one of the bigger opportunities, you know, specifically, say, for a school for like CCS. You know, CCS has the, one of the largest groups of black footwear designers to graduate from any school in the United States or any school in the world, actually. and. If people in Detroit don't know that, shame on CCS because that's pivotal and critical for their visibility of what's possible. And if if those kids who live in that city don't know the success rate of Black kids, other Black kids who have, have graduated through CCS and what they're doing today, that's that's partly on CCS. And that's partly on the DPS system as well of of sharing those insights. I mean, that, that should be a, a annual conversation or, or bi-monthly conversation of just highlighting the success stories. Because right now, the success stories still exist in the entertainment side and the sports side. Yeah. If you, no, I, if you see those two things, then that's all you think you're going to be. That's right. No, you're right. And it's, 
you know, given my new role at CCS, I have a better understanding of what some of the blocks are to telling that story in a better way. But there's still, you're, you're 100% right that there is still, there's a kind of a moral imperative, right? If we want to, if we want to have different outcomes, we've got to do different things. And, you know, you're right. You're 100% right. One of the things that we've tried at Design Core, we do do, is we have a, a member network of design businesses that we highlight a wide variety, but they're primarily s- service-based businesses, you know, graphic design companies and uh, architecture, you know, architects and uh, interior designers. Um, and we've tried over the years to really have, you know, to to have more makers, to have more product-based businesses involved. And I think we're still trying to figure out for those startup product-based companies, what, you know, what the, what the right level of promotion, what the right level of services. And so maybe just as we, as we, as we wrap up, just your thoughts around, you know, for folks who are, who are, maybe they've got the design training, they have ideas for, for products, you know, what, what are the, the most important ingredients if you're going to be a, a startup um, you know, in, in the design world with a product-based business, you know, what, what should those companies be, be focused on? You know, being an entrepreneur is, is super hard and I wouldn't suggest it for anyone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, uh, unless you're willing to lose everything, don't do it because it becomes a hobby at that point. You end up wasting more money. Yeah, we uh, say the same thing to our clients yeah. every day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's just not, it looks sexy, but it's really not. I, I think that entrepreneurs miss the idea of, of brand equity versus making money. And the brand equity piece could lead you to money, meaning through association, through collaboration, you elevate your, your brand, you elevate your status. And then the money will come, right? I think sometimes the 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 curse brands have entrepreneurs have early is if they have money, because if if you start with too much of it, you're going to waste it. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, because I think not having money makes you a, a lot smarter of a person. It makes you more resilient. It makes you want to figure out how am I going to get this when I don't have this, mm-hmm. and. I think one way of attracting entrepreneurs, I mean, money still talks, right? And, you know, what would be really interesting is if you had your own version of a Shark Tank set up Mm -hmm. for young entrepreneurs in the city of Detroit, and you almost kind of trick them into, okay, no, this is also an entrepreneur camp of you need to have this, 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 and this to be successful. And then, oh, by the way, once you do all those things, then you come back. And then we'll put you in front of people who have the resources to to make you uh, a, a more successful business. Right. But it's not always just about money. It, it is a lot of times about resources, whether it's legal services, whether it's brand strategy services, marketing services. These are all things are most of the time is overlooked by entrepreneurs and they don't present themselves to the world as best as they should. So therefore, they don't get opportunities and they never know why. They never know why someone didn't look at them versus looking at someone else. And and a lot of times, if they have no real design background or understanding from a bigger perspective of what brand should look like, they fall into that trap of falling in love with the product or the object that they've created and not looking at the holistic brand and approach that they're looking to deliver that product. 
So I think being able to lure them in with this idea of being in front of people with money, but then once you have them captive, now you take them through the rest of the steps that needs to that they need to go through to make themselves look good enough to go outside. I call it where I hope everyone brushes their teeth and washes their face and, and does something with their hair and they look presentable when they go outside daily. Most of the times brands don't do that. Entrepreneurs don't do that. Their, their brand doesn't look presentable. And, and that's usually the reason why they don't progress is because they don't have the visual look and then back that visual look with the proper approach and plan and strategy to be successful. They're just focused on the product. And especially as a designer, because you, you think this is this is it and you forget about, you know, the basics. And, and so I think that's one of the struggles that entrepreneurs have is that they they don't look good enough to go outside. Right. <laughs> Stay home. <laughs> yeah. Get it right until you're yeah. ready to come outside. And but yeah. a lot of times they don't know what that looks like. And and so they have to they have to be shown what that looks like. Right. No, I think that makes a ton of sense. And I and I appreciate your insights on that because you've seen you've seen the business and and what it takes, what you know, what it takes to to succeed every day. So at Design Corps, you know, as the stewards of the UNESCO City of Design designation for Detroit, we've been really focused on, you know, Detroit not only as a place that practices design in an inclusive way, but also fosters diverse design talent. And I'd love to just get a sense from you, Dwayne, about what kinds of opportunities, you know, for talent you, you might see in Detroit. Well, I mean, you know, Detroit has come up for me, the last three years consistently, <laughs> starting with a former uh, student of mine who's been trying to recruit me to Detroit for the last three years. And and, and I've explained to him, hey, it, it, it doesn't make sense yet because I'm thinking about just the footwear, footwear side, and, and there's not enough footwear industry, you know, for in, in Detroit. And then Don Tusky, the president of CCS, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we used to work together here in Portland because uh, he was the president of a school that was about a five minute walk away from pencil. And and I remember once he came into town, I think he was here a good month. And and then he finally reached out to me and, and he, he said, you know, I keep hearing your name come up because he's Portland's a footwear city where, you know, the Nikes, the Adidas and Jordans of the world are here and the Columbia's and they're all saying, hey, you should talk to Dwayne. And so we, we had a good working relationship. And, and then he decided to leave and go back home to Detroit. And, and Yay so for Detroit. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so within a few months of him being the president of CCS, I get the email and the text message. Hey, you know, what what can we do to get you to Detroit? So now I have two people recruiting me to Detroit um, through through different lenses, right? And and so you know, as I start to look at it, and you know, yeah, there's Wolverine Worldwide out out in Detroit, who's a pretty massive footwear company and, and leather supplier. But there's also other great design companies out there as far as Carhartt and, and Herman Miller and, and GM and, and Ford. And, and so it starts to it starts to make a little bit more sense. I think for for us, what we're looking to do is 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 really find a, a, another home, whether it's expansion or even, you know, fully packing up and leaving um, to be a part of a growing, a, a bigger and, and and more diverse community that's willing to grow and, and really be a part of building a city. 
And and so Detroit's looking a bit more attractive. Um, I will say, you know, Don and, and and Alan have done a really good job of of, of the recruiting process and, and feeding me monthly with the goodness of what's going on in the city. Uh, and, and then being able to, to visit Detroit, you know, I, I do understand now what they see and, and there could be a, a possibility that, that we, we could show up there for sure. Well, I know we would welcome you with open arms, Dwayne. So, uh, <laughs> okay. Well, Dwayne, I have so enjoyed our conversation today and learning more about pencil and and what you've accomplished, you know, so far. And I, and I would just maybe as we you know, we have a lot of different types of of listeners, but for those aspiring designers out there who maybe maybe they're not not currently enrolled in a in a program or you know, they're, they're, they haven't quite figured it out. What is your, what's your advice for people who want to get into the industry? Well, the, f- the first thing I would say is the industry doesn't need more. The industry needs better. And uh, I say that to say that if you're, if you're planning to get into the design industry, think about being the designer that inspires others. And what I mean by that is, each of us are inspired by different people for different reasons is hopefully you start to discover what your reason is. What is the reason why you want to go into design and how are you planning on creating a product or making your imprint within this industry that will help elevate the industry and look at ways to inspire others where most of the time, you know, people just go into it just because they see opportunity those opportunities fade. Those opportunities pop up and disappear. Where if you're focused on really honoring the craft and and really focusing on elevating the industry, then at some point, the things that you create and the companies you decide to build, the relationships you start to establish, that will inspire the next version of you. And I just ask all the young kids to, to think about, you know, what can they do to create a path for the next generation of them, because that's too often what we don't think about. Uh, We don't think about how can we make the process more clear for the previous version of ourselves. And and that's really been always been my goal from from the beginning is I've I've always said I want to leave this industry better than, than the way I received it. And if I can leave it better than the way I received it, then I feel like I did what I was supposed to do within within this industry. Well, Dwayne, I think you're definitely doing that. And I've just, again, been so happy to talk with you today. For our audience who wants to learn more about Pencil, we'll have information in our show notes and look forward to seeing more about what happens as Pencil grows and evolves. Thank you, Dwayne. Thank you very much. And, and uh, maybe I'll see you in Detroit soon. I hope so. This has been the Detroit City of Design podcast. If you like what you just heard, please share this episode on social media via email or by any other means. For more information on DesignCore Detroit, visit designcore.org or search the handle at designcore.det. That's design, C-O-R-E-D-E-T. Keep up with the show by subscribing for free in your favorite podcast app. 
Just search Detroit City of Design. And we hope you will join us in Detroit for Detroit Month of Design this September. The Detroit City of Design podcast is produced by Jessica Maloof of Design Corps Detroit and edited by Robin Kinney of Motor City Woman Studios. Music by Caleb Waterman, courtesy of Assemble Sound. This podcast is a product of Design Corps Detroit, a part of the College for Creative Studies in Detroit, Michigan.